welcome back. It's been a while since the two of us have done an episode together. Yeah. I feel. We, the World War Three one was the last one. Oh, yeah. That actually wasn't that long ago. Which, by the way, it wasn't showing up on Spotify. Oh, really? Yeah, it is show, it, it, uh, it's showing up now, but like after we released it, it wasn't showing up. So I wonder if like it was uh, filtered because it said World War Three. Oh. <laughs> Which is kind of, you know, seems like a pertinent thing to for people to hear about, you know? Why are they showing? Okay, if you open up our Origins of Ebola episode, <clears throat> Spotify is showing you a learn about COVID-19 banner. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting Joe Rogan oh, out here. <laughs> We're getting Joe Rogan out here. Um, that, make, that makes sense considering like how, how powerful and influential we are with our 10 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> we got 10 listeners? Okay. Yeah, dude. <laughs> We got we got the the, the little the little crew out there. Hell yeah, we love you and we appreciate all the emails you send us every week. Yeah, honestly, contact at rdmr.io. We just wouldn't wouldn't like live without them. I mean, if you don't send them, I'm gonna kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, censor that Spotify. I'm gonna kill myself by releasing Ebola. <laughs> <laughs> I hope okay. that like you know. If we can be, you know, Joe Rogan in that way, I hope our viewership numbers can be Joe Rogan as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do we get Joe Rogan to put us on his podcast? Um, I think we just have to do something like really remarkable that like resonates with him and takes like a lot of like effort and like skill and thought. Okay. <laughs> like so- climb like 13 peaks and like you know, one-fifth the time that it's ever been done for. And then make, like, an NFT of each, like, peak or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Or or just, like, spread some, like, you know, tall tales that, like, people want to hear. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I, like, I like Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. It's... I mean, he does numbers. That's what I, that's what I can definitely say about that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, skepta. He's, like, quit talking numbers. Calculator. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I need to listen to that, that album on the way back. So this was a pretty pretty light intro to what's actually an extremely heavy podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is an extremely heavy podcast. We, we wanted to cover, and, and I mean, levity tends to help like all things. I think that's fine. But, yeah. But we wanted to talk about um, this essay called We Refugees by Hannah Arendt who was a um, formidable philosopher and political theorist whose books included The Origins of Totalitarianism, Men in Dark Times, and uh, Eichmann in Jerusalem. So she was a uh, German-Jewish intellectual who fled Nazi Germany as a refugee, and she wrote this essay called We Refugees um, that's less philosophy and more just like personal experience. Um, And with what's going on in the Ukraine... I thought, you know, and already thought it would be a good idea for us to like talk about this essay and reflect on our experiences and just try to like empathize with what it means to be a refugee. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I, I think it's it's definitely super relevant right now yeah. with the Ukraine and what's going on there and the flood of refugees into you know um, Western Europe and neighboring Eastern European countries from the Ukraine. But I think it's generally something that's also very relevant. You know, you think about. Um, 
refugees on our southern border from mm. you know El Salvador Venezuela. and Venezuela. Yeah. Um, you think about you know we used to live in Minneapolis. We both went to college at the University of Minnesota, and there's a big um, Somali refugee yeah. population there as well. Um, you know, at any given time, I mean, there's the Rohingya refugees, right? I mean, at any given time, there's a horrible war where some group is being persecuted or faced to flee from their home somewhere in the world. And there are always some refugees or some people, right, who are just seeking a safe home and a place to build a life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's something that's generally relevant, like, throughout human history, unfortunately. Yeah, no, no, definitely true. Always there. Yeah, de- definitely true. Definitely true. And this this dynamic, like, so, so she starts the essay by saying, you know, in the first place, we don't like to be called refugees. We ourselves call each other newcomers or immigrants. Um, a refugee used to be a person driven to seek refuge because of some act committed or some political opinion held. Well, it's true we've had to seek refuge, but we committed no acts, and most of us have never dreamt of having any radical opinion. And w- w- the people you described are kind of in the same spot. Yeah. So yeah. I actually – that quote stuck out to me as well, and I like the, the next sentence there as well I think is really relevant, which is, with us, the meaning of the term refugee has changed. Now, refugees are those of us who have been so unfortunate as to arrive in a new country without means – and have to be helped by refugee committees. Yeah. And to your point, I think the latter is like definitely our modern understanding of the word refugee mm-hmm. is not, you know, someone who is did something or has some opinion and therefore is seeking refuge, yeah. but it's very much someone who most likely through no fault of their own was forced from their home. Right. Right. And if they do hold an opinion, it's it's a it's a very non-exceptional opinion, right? So in the case of like you know the Jews in Nazi Germany, it was to be Jewish, like to practice their faith. And for them, it wasn't even that. Like if they said they didn't practice their faith, they would still be persecuted. Right. And for the Rohingya too, or like the um, Uyghurs, it's not like they have some <clears throat> you know extremely radical. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are radicals among them, as there are radicals among any group, but they're just trying to practice their faith in a pretty normal day to day pedestrian way, and they're being persecuted. You know. Um, just for living a pretty regular life. Right. You know? yeah. yeah, exactly. I, I actually didn't know that, like, that was the historical meaning of refugee, was, like, um, that it used to be someone who's seeking refuge because of some act or some political opinion. I, I only had the modern conception of the refugee, which it sounds like kind of stems from the Holocaust. Which I, it's just history that I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. And, and the Holocaust, you know, <clears throat> shit always hits, hits the fan when you start making comparisons with the Holocaust. Like, but I think the, the par- one parallel I do see between those events and what's happening in Ukraine today is what happened during the Holocaust helped people understand the nature of things like this and help people have, like, develop broader empathy you know, for victims of, like, irrational genocide and, like, you know, maltreatment by governments of various kinds, right? Because there was a spotlight on it. Like, we're talking about this now. Like you said, there have always been refugees, like, in our societies, like, at all times. But because of what's going on right now, there's a spotlight on it. 
and we're paying attention and we're, we're able to like dig in and try to really empathize and, and think to empathize. Yeah. 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 Now it's a good point about like comparing things to the Holocaust. I'll just make a blanket statement right now that when we're referring to things or events throughout this discussion, like it's not, we're not necessarily saying like this act is of the same magnitude or this yeah, or event quality. is the same thing, but it's basically like, you know, are there some parallels we, we can draw and what can we learn about, you know, persecution, assimilation, you know, your identity, um, <clears throat> immigration through the work of this great philosopher in Arendt? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's like what's happening in Ukraine, like the scale of it is like so, so mind boggling, and especially like, you know, if you have the stomach for, you know, graphic social media imagery, then you're able to really like appreciate like what the numbers mean. Personally, I'm not really on social media. I actually should be a little more as far as like Twitter goes. But like, you know, I'm I, I'm not seeking out those images so much. So for me, it's like, I see all these numbers, right? But then I know a guy from Ukraine. And I didn't realize he was from Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I thought he was Belgian. Yeah. For no reason. Interesting. Because I just don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, I was asking him how his weekend went, and he was, like, you know, not good. And I could see, like, a lot of, like, you know, emotion in his eyes because, like, his family's over there and stuff. And, like, it felt, like, very real to me in that moment. Yeah. And I think that this essay um, also helps to really, like, appreciate, like, that it's not just, like, these staggering numbers. Like, each of those numbers is somebody's family member, um, somebody going through a very, like, personal human experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something that Arendt talks about as well in this essay, um, where she basically talks about how, you know, many of the people who try to make the case for the Jewish people, many of the Jewish people who make the case for the Jewish people, go to statistics and figures. And, you know, in the past, they had used statistics and figures to try to basically justify to the country that they were staying in, right? To the people of that country, how they're a good population, you know, they're doing the right things and and all of those things. And she basically was talking about how she's not going to any statistics or measures now because, you know, at the time it was, it was impossible to do so. I mean, what was the date on this essay? It was 43, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that, that was interesting as well. Yeah, I think so. And just like as far as like how people work, you know, um, <clears throat> logical appeals and rationalization and statistics for most people, most of the time, like the vast majority, they work to cement uh, an emotional understanding that's already been come to. Yeah. Right. So <clears throat> it makes sense to like if you're if you're making an appeal for the plight of refugees, it makes sense to first start with the personal. Right. When people are emotionally, move them emotionally, and then solidify that appeal with logic and right rationality. Right. You know, and then you have like your CTA for your newsletter, or your <laughs> subscription <laughs> service. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think okay. her her goals were a little more lofty than uh, getting recurring revenue. <laughs> yeah, getting recurring revenue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so another thing that really caught me in like the next part of this essay is just like 
how she talks about, you know, in order to rebuild one's life, one has to be strong and an optimist, you know, and um, she talks about how she's, they've lost their homes, which means they've lost the familiarity of daily life. They've lost their occupations, which means they've lost the confidence that they're of some use in this world. They've lost their language and the naturalness of reactions that comes from that. Um, the simplicity of gestures, the unaffected expression of feelings. We le they left their relatives in the Polish ghettos and their best friends have been killed in concentration camps and that means the rupture of their private lives. But they personally were saved and it's like this very dissonant situation where they need to be optimistic to like rebuild. Right. But they've been through like horrible things and in order to integrate into society and feel normal and feel connected to people... They need to be selective about how they share that, you know, hence why they're like, we don't like to be called refugees. We like, we want to be called newcomers or immigrants. Um, so it's this very like, you know, split, challenging kind of like psychological state to be in, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It is. Um, <clears throat> I thought that was interesting as well. Um, it's kind of like. There's something deeply troubling to me about the idea that they must forget, you know, where they came from in order to build a new life. But, you know, from a practical perspective, right, as, as a Jewish person in Europe in, in 1941, right, you fled from Germany to France, you don't have the luxury of making some high-minded, you know, principled stand about, you know, your history and where it is that you come from. I mean, you're trying to build a life and live, right? You're trying to survive. Yeah. Um, so I definitely can see, you know, why you must make those choices. But it's it's very sad to me that that is, you know, what what has to be done. And I think the other thing is like, it gives me pause when I consider like some of the modern things that we people tend to say about refugees, right? There, there is a lot of this talk about you know people should assimilate, you know they should come in, they should adopt the local culture, all of those things, and it's like, well, if we're asking people to forget where they come from, you know, I think that's wrong. I think that's also dangerous. Um, because I think we can learn a lot from history, right? Um, yeah. That's yeah. something that struck me as well. I, 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 would, I would agree. I would agree to a certain extent, though. My feeling is like, I think the other side of it is like, people just getting kind of ghettoized into their own communities, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think it depends on what country you're into, right? Like, in America, part of like, the promise of America is that we, you know, we, we come together um, across these boundaries and we kind of like let go of, um, let go of, um, I don't know how to put it, um, old divisions, you might say, you know? Um, that being said, that doesn't mean it's like, just throw away your culture, you know? You want to bring that with you and contribute that, you know? Um, but yeah. like with language, right? Language is a good example. Um, you know, that naturalness of expression and your ability to, like, communicate and have that, like, simplicity of just talking to people freely, that's important, right? Yeah, um, for sure. That doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, shouldn't speak Spanish. Yeah. That doesn't mean you shouldn't speak 
Pashto. German or Pashto, you know? Yeah. But that does mean you're making it harder for yourself and for us to all come together if you if you don't speak, like, the common language that everyone else speaks, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think definitely. I mean, I think for your for someone's own sake as an immigrant to a country, it helps you to learn the local language. I have no, no question about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but just this idea that, like, you know... They weren't able to talk to other people about yeah, what yeah. had happened no, to that's them. That's insane. And then yeah. the fact that that influenced them to also not talk about it within their own community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 No, that's um, very true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mean another thing that that speaks to is just <clears throat> the discomfort with the negative. Right. You know, with negative emotions, negative situations, like. Um, that in and of itself is kind of bad. Like, it should be okay to say, you know, I'm not doing well. Like, right. I'm not feeling good, you know? Yeah. Um, Like, when that guy I know said that, like, he didn't go super deep into it, but the fact that he was comfortable saying that helped us connect and helped me understand what's going on over there on a deeper level, emotionally, you know? Right. If he had been like, no, I'm fine, there would have been a lot lost for, for me and for him. Yeah. You know? So. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And I think that's kind of the recurring theme in this is that, like, refugees are just immigrants, really. And immigrants are just people. Like, I think that's the thing that she's really driving at again and again throughout this is, like, um, there's, at the time especially, there's this concerted effort to strip the humanity away from the Jewish people. Right, right. Um, and what she's saying is that essentially, or, or at least my interpretation of what she's saying is that that stripping away of their humanity didn't end when they escaped Germany. Yeah. Um, yeah. it was happening in, under, a, in a different way, but very similar in France when they escaped to France or even in New York or LA when they came here, you right, know? Right. Um, and it's important to have their um like humanity for yeah. lack of a you know better thing yeah yeah no i think it i think it's true and also you know i was saying it, it's not i don't think it's a good thing when everyone gets kind of ghettoized into their own um culture and like is unable to like meet other, meet people with different backgrounds and kind of like integrate across those lines uh, but I think you also have to appreciate and understand why, for example, um, folks would want to go and eat some food that, you know, um, reminds them of home or hear their mother tongue, you know, right. or watch movies or listen to music like from, from their mother country. So you have to appreciate um, where that comes from and give people the space to do that as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Especially in the short term. Um but in the longer term, I do think we need to like come together to a certain extent while still respecting people's backgrounds. Like, yeah, I mean, I think I think definitely it's a good goal um, to come together. I guess you know the thing that I think about is like if you take the the immigrant or the refugee aspect out of it, you know, on a daily basis, to what extent is that actually lived? Right, like if we slice it by. Like, say we take a community in Texas and there's a 
Catholic church and a Protestant church there, right? And a yeah. Baptist church. What, like, is everyone hanging out together all the time? Or is it more likely that people are subdivided into separate communities and largely based on, you know, in that setting, maybe religious lines, right? Um, it depends, right? So I would say, like, I would say, you know, a couple of different things. Like, there are units of society where people are able to connect. So, like, for example, like, work, sports teams, yeah. military, school. Yeah. Right? And in those settings, things like a common language can help, like, you know, um, make those settings fruitful to, like, interconnect. Um, that being said, like, yeah, I mean, ultimately, um, birds of a feather flock together, totally a thing as well, uh, to a certain extent. Yeah. To a large extent. So I take your point, you know, like, what, what what's the expectation? Yeah. Um, and I am with you on, on common language. I think common language, again, is not even from like a, like necessarily from a societal perspective. I mean, there's definitely the argument there in terms of coming together, but purely from a practical perspective, like if you're trying to live in a country, um, it's very difficult if you economically, don't, economically and just in your day to day, psychologically, right, yeah. you're going to be isolated. You can't talk to anyone. You can't communicate with people. You can't be a part of any sort of community other than you know, your, like, immigrant group's community, which is great, and you should be a part of your immigrant group's community if you want to, but you should also, it it, it would be, your life would probably be easier and richer if you had the ability to just communicate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I knew this, like, literacy, well, when I was doing, like, that literacy tutoring, I was working with this, like, old uh, Russian lady, Mm -hmm. older Russian lady, Um, and, yeah, she could not speak English very well or read it very well. And it was, like, very isolating for her on, on a bunch of different levels because, like, <sighs> there aren't, like, there are way more non-Russian people than Russian people, right? So the little, like, spontaneous conversations are hard to get. Yeah. Um, when you're at the counter, you're ordering something, like, you know, hey, how's your day going? You know, stuff like that. You don't get that. Um, meeting new people is hard. Like, work opportunities are hard. And, like... The other thing is, even the, the amount of English you do know, you feel too shy to use. Right. Because, like, you don't have enough, like, critical mass built up where you feel confident in, like, trying to use it. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was, like, tough to see. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, yeah. So, another theme, kind of switching gears a bit, that I thought was interesting... Well, interesting is, is a weird way to put it, maybe, but, but she basically talked a lot about this idea of, like, suicide. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And suicide to essentially escape, you know, the fate that was in front of them. Um, and, you know, she, she really went back to the the optimism thing, you know? Like, like here's a passage. Since 1938, since Hitler's invasion of Austria, we have seen how quickly eloquent optimism could change to speechless pessimism. As time went on, we got worse, even more optimistic and even more inclined to suicide. Austrian Jews under, I'm going to butcher this, Schuschnig, were such a cheerful people. All impartial observers admired them. It was quite wonderful how deeply convinced they were that nothing could happen to them. 
But when German troops invaded the country and Gentile neighbors started riots at Jewish homes, Austrian Jews began to commit suicide. Unlike other suicides, our friends leave no explanation of their deed, no indictment, no charge against a world that had forced a desperate man to talk and to behave cheerfully to his very last day. Letters left by them are conventional, meaningless documents. Thus, funeral orations we make at their open graves are brief, embarrassed, and very hopeful. Nobody cares about motives. They seem to be clear to all of us. Yeah, it speaks to that kind of like massive dissonance, right? Of like, you need to be optimistic, you need to be optimistic, but there's so much bad stuff going on where people are going from optimism straight to suicide. Yeah. I mean, that's a crazy thing to think about, right? Yeah. The things that would push you to that, I mean, again, like we're talking about the Holocaust. So it's like the extent of like horror that humans are capable of inflicting on each other, like this is the maximum, right? Like it, it's pretty much like... It's a high water bark. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, there are other things like that that have happened many times throughout human history. But... You know, it's it's one of the more visceral and, and well-documented examples. And industrial. And industrial. I think that was an extremely, like, that was an, a new thing at that yeah. time, you know? Like, the the number of people that they did this to and the way that they did it to them was, was pretty staggering. Yeah. Obviously. <clears throat> yeah, but, like, to your point, you know... Um, There's my new cat walking by. You've whoa, never seen her before? Whoa. Oh, She's a little, she's a little wise one. Yeah. <laughs> she looks like the, uh, the blind swordsman except her foot is blind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to pet her. She'll run like hell if you move. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, back to the, back to the, uh, basically for, for those listening, uh, Margaret and I got a new cat uh, a few weeks ago and Ayan's come over like once or twice since then, but she's always been like secret. Yeah. Just like hiding under the bed or the couch. But this is the first time Ayan's been able to lay eyes on her. <laughs> so cool. Okay. Uh, back, anyway, back to our very <laughs> serious discussion. <laughs> um, Yeah, the, the the suicide thing was was very strange, but but also made sense, and that's kind of where she tied in the statistical thing as well, you know. And she was talking about basically how, you know, well, here to quote, she says, "Anyhow, wherever European Jews are living today, they no longer behave according to statistical laws." Suicides occur not only among the panic-stricken people in Berlin and Vienna, in Bucharest or Paris, but in New York and Los Angeles, in Buenos Aires and Montevideo. Yeah, it's a, like sympathetic suicide idea. Yeah. yeah. We we talked about that, right? We we're, we're uh, I don't remember which podcast it was, but um, just the idea that if there's a well-publicized suicide in a certain area, um, and it has a certain demographic, like let's say it's like a young um, redhead. Mm-hmm. The suicide rate for young redheads in that area goes up. So, you know, you see, like, all this bad shit happening to people that you identify with, and, you know, it affects you, too, in a certain sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. 
There's actually a really good um, Malcolm Gladwell. I don't remember if it was in his audiobook or if it was in uh, one of his podcast episodes. But it's basically about this. It's about suicide. It's about how people can be biased to suicide. And in particular, it was about um, Sylvia Plath. Yeah. And her suicide and the use of town gas in... The oven. England, yeah, the oven. Yeah. Um, and how, like, you know, we have this perception in our society that, like, suicide is because... It, it's a very, like, long-pondered thing where you, like, have been debating it for a long time and you're driven to do it and you finally do it. And it's like, you know, the method isn't going to really matter that much. You know, it's it's about the act. But statistically like suicides drop by a massive percentage when they change the type of gas used in homes in england and it's very much like a a thing of like it's a timely reaction basically yeah yeah no that that makes i mean when you put it that way it kind of makes sense if you think about just like the extent to which people are influenced by their environment both social and physical Right, like right. If, let's let's say like you're a consistent gym goer, and I hide your shoes. You're yeah. not going to the gym that day, probably. Yeah, you know. <laughs> right. Like you might have been going to the gym every day for like the last like thirty weeks in a row. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't have any shoes, you're probably not gonna go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find. Uh... Even though you could go to Walmart and buy some shoes for like ten dollars on the way to the gym, like there's a lot of solutions to this problem. Yeah, for sure. I don't remember if it was talking to strangers or if it was on his podcast, Revisionist History. But anyway. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, it's a good point. So going on a little bit from this um, the suicide thing, she talks about well, actually this this paragraph has a bunch of uh, like Jewish words that I don't know what they mean. So or Yiddish words. So I'm just gonna move past that one um <laughs> the identity questions are interesting where it's like you know um do you hide your identity and hide this major part of yourself um in order to try to uh, assimilate and then maybe not even be that successful in doing so or do you you know honor your background and just be like hey this is who i am this is what i'm gonna do like those like identity-based struggles are seem very challenging yeah um especially at this time you know for these people because there's like a lot of anti-semitism and stuff like that and um i think you know depending on the group and the situation i think there's like some mild parallels um you know um yeah yeah i mean that's that's another thing that people like forget right is that the like the level of anti-semitism in the u.s during this time was 
ridiculous. Extremely high. Now, it wasn't as bad as Europe, um, but there were many Nazi sympathizers yeah. in America, yeah. you know? Uh, very influential figures who were, like, deeply anti-Semitic. Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, Walt yeah. Disney. I mean, there's yeah, there's a bunch. Walt Disney's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was real anti-Semitic from, from what I uh, recall. Yikes. <clears throat> yeah, growing up in um, in Singapore and um, various other places, like, I feel like, I don't know if you felt this way, but I never understood anti-Semitism because to me, it was just like, Jews were just like white people with like a different religion. Yeah. It seemed like a very similar religion to Christianity. Like, very similar. Like, they have the same book, so Christianity, like, adds one. Right. And so I was always really confused. And when I came here, like, I really didn't know, like, who was Jewish. Like, like until, like, it took me, like, a long time to realize, like, oh, David is a Jewish name. Yeah. You know, like, I just didn't make that connection. So it's kind of weird. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. I mean... I- I think the thing about the Jewish people is they're both an ethnic group and a religion, right? Or or a collection of ethnic groups, you know? Um, like, there are people, like my good friend David, you know, he's, um, you know, uh, Russian and Jewish, right? Yeah. Like, his parents uh, emigrated from the USSR. Um, but he doesn't consider himself Russian really at all. He considers himself to be Jewish. Yeah. Um, yeah. He considers himself to be like totally separate from the Russian national identity. I mean, he doesn't connect with that or identify with that at all. Hmm. Um, which kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. 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 It is interesting. And it kind of is, is, um, contrary to what, uh, Arendt is talking about in this essay where she talks about how, at least at this time, the Jewish people were kind of like these experts of assimilation, right? Like they would go from country to country because they keep getting pushed around and they would instantly become the most patriotic, you know, the most, um, they were the most German Germans. They were the most French French, you know, they're the most American Americans um, because of this need to, you know, be able to assimilate and fit in and rebuild their lives. Again and again, yeah. Again and again. Um, I feel like, and also, you know, I see it a lot living in the Bay Area because there's a pretty large Israeli community here. Um, It feels like, you know, um, the Jewish people have really, like, kind of retaken, re, like, solidified their identity as a community, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Simultaneously, you know. They're still very woven into the fabric of American society. Like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's yeah. really what we were talking about, right? Like, not losing your history and where you came from, but still being a part of, you know, this this larger thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's cool. It's very cool. It's very cool. And, um, yeah, hopefully, you know, all the Ukrainians that are being forced to flee into surrounding countries are able to, you know take their heritage with them, but also um, feel connected and, and find a new home, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully this shit, like, comes to an end um, soon. Yeah, you know, yeah. As favorable terms as possible. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, hopefully. Um, okay, so one other thing, uh, quote that I want to talk about is basically, um, you know, she's talking about how essentially, like, many of these people, right, these these so-called refugees, these immigrants, were doctors, lawyers, philanthropists, like, titans of business, and, you know, had all of their assets stripped away, fled to a new country, and then they're coming there. Um... And then she's kind of talking about this. Um, Our new friends, rather overwhelmed by so many stars and famous men, hardly understand that at the basis of all of our descriptions of past splendors lies one human truth. Once we were somebodies about whom people cared. We were loved by friends and even known by landlords as paying our rent regularly. Once we could buy our food and ride in the subway without being told we were undesirable. We have become a little hysterical since newspaper men started detecting us and telling us publicly to stop being disagreeable when shopping for milk and bread. We wonder how it can be done. We already are so damnably careful in every moment of our daily lives to avoid anybody guessing who we are, what kind of passport we have, where our birth certificates were filled out, and that Hitler didn't like us. We try the best we can to fit into a world where you have to be sort of politically minded when you buy your food. Man, that's that hits hard. Yeah. This whole essay really does. Yeah. Yeah. She has a, a really remarkable, like, mastery of the language and like the way that she presents these things. It like you said, it really hits hard. Uh, I mean you really like feel it you know um when you're reading this sorry you're good (laughs) sorry is that your go to bed alarm or is that yeah it's my go to bed alarm (laughs) (laughs) it's we're recording this at 7 30 (laughs) p.m yeah which thank you ion for uh being willing to do that because i know it's past your past your usual haunting hours yeah um let me like yeah let me just double check this because yeah no worries no worries um yeah okay so going back to this idea of like you know this stripping away of their humanity happened like in all of these different places um it is the same story all over the world repeated again and again in europe the nazis confiscated our property But in Brazil, we have to pay 30% of our wealth, like the most loyal member of the Bunder, some German word. In Paris, we could not leave our homes after 8 o'clock because we were Jews. But in Los Angeles, we were restricted because we are enemy aliens. Our identity has changed so frequently that nobody can find out who we actually are. And then this was another really interesting thing. Unfortunately, things don't look any better when we meet with Jews. French Jewry was absolutely convinced that all Jews coming from beyond the Rhine were what they called Polacks, what German Jewry called Ostjuden. But those Jews who really came from Eastern Europe could not agree with their French brethren and called us Jackes. The sons of these Jacke haters, the second generation born in France and already duly assimilated, shared the opinion of the French Jewish upper class. Thus, in the very same family... You could be called a jacket by the father and a Polak by the son. Well, that's horrible and strange. 
Yeah. That was one. Wrap your head around. Yeah. It's a tough one to wrap your head around. And and I didn't really know what to make of that, to be honest. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to know what to, what to make of that. Just because it's like so alien, you know what I mean? Like, right. And the fact that, like, I mean, you know, you would expect that, like, the at the time the Jewish community in France would be receptive to, you know, welcoming in um, Jewish people who are fleeing persecution, right? Or, or you would think that of any group, right? Like, right, right. In, in any place, right? Like, when there are people like you coming right who you can identify with on some shared basis whether it's a religion or an ethnicity or a race or like you know some sort of belief um you would support that right but but that doesn't seem to have been the case at least according to this essay which is really troubling especially a religion yeah especially a religion because you know like a religion is like you know uh, integral to like the way you live your life it's like your your values your your culture right like I think um, along those lines, you would think that would that would definitely be a thing, right? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. The reason I say that is because, like, you know, um, if you have like, like, what's a good example? Um, like Dave Chappelle talks about, like when he goes to Africa, like he doesn't feel like he just fits in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So I think like it depends on the category, but. For religion, for sure. Uh, culture, just generally, I could see that, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, if you're from a place, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, um, let's see. Well, it's a good quote to and uh, yeah i mean i think the, this one here that, that you talked about before is a good one just to remember for um for the current situation too it's like you know once we were somebody's about whom people cared we we're loved by friends even known by landlords paying our rent regularly um yeah so we'll, we'll share like a, a a charity where you know you can contribute to humanitarian efforts in ukraine and um check out this essay yourselves uh it's good it's powerful it'll help you uh, understand the plight of of refugees more deeply yeah um and you can just get it for free online if you just search we refugees uh hannah aren't aren't um on google you'll find it that's true for for most essays so like doing essay episodes is nice because like you don't have to go ahead and get a whole book and it's not a big commitment like this essay is how many pages like like seven pages yeah and that's actually something that we you know for for that reason it's something we built into the app right is that this ability to say you know give me something to read now because i want to hit my reading but you know for whatever reason i don't want to pick up my book i honestly find a lot of times when i'm in between books um my reading can drop a lot because it there's that inertia to start a new book, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm like, eh, I'm lazy. It's easier to, like, you know, go on my phone or do something else. But if I can go on my phone and just hit, like, read now and read this essay, I mean, for me, that's a lot better um, than, yeah. than just reading 
whatever nonsense I would usually read. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Or look at. Like, on, on the flip side, if you're almost done with the book and you're kind of dragging and you need like a mental break before you finish it, you can jump in the app and hit read now. And like the kind of stuff we share is stuff like this, where it's like deep, significant, transformative, but short, you know? Um, and it'll help you maintain your reading streak, which like our whole like, our whole like thesis here is to delve into unprocessed information yourself as much as you can um, and just like be be less susceptible to spin and be a more independent thinker and like the way we're trying to promote that is to have like a consistent diet of like reading um, that you have for yourself so yeah if you're if you're ever like it's 959 you're like oh my streak you know I'm, I'm losing my consistency jump in hit read now and like right there we'll get you something good significant meaningful to continue your streak yeah absolutely um so yeah once again um you know our thoughts go out to everyone in the ukraine and their families um we'll put a link in the description in the show notes um of uh some humanitarian charities um if you want to let us know how you felt about this episode uh if you want to discuss further um if you are not a murderer and you're in the bay area and you want to get coffee with us contact at rdmr.io hit us up um and uh we'd love to hear from you agree and with that have a good night good night